0: hit the record button again. Are we recording? Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, good deal. well, we are back for another episode of P2 Transition or Post-Secondary Transition. I am one of the hosts. My name is Patrick Cadigan. Thanks for coming back. Who is my co-host?
1: This is Megan Smallwood and I have returned for more.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, good deal. All right. So I am super excited about today's discussion because we're actually going to be doing an interview for a family. Do you want to give a little bit of a background about where this came from?
1: Oh, well, we're lucky enough to have a a wonderful family that I've been working with for a few years, um, the Nurshals. Their son is preparing to exit from the school system this year, um, and they've done a lot of hard work behind the scenes um, to prepare for this. So they're going to share their experience a little bit about where they started and how they've gotten to where they are now
0: and I'm real this is cool because we've been talking about this for a while like we've been building right. up to this and this is really something that we wanted to do but before we get into our interview why don't we let's talk about post secondary transition and what does that mean like if we were to define right. it what is it
1: Because there's so many transitions during the school time. So post-secondary transition specifically focuses between ages 14 through 21, and it's really um, helping to answer that question, what do you want for your child after they leave school, which is a loaded question, we know. Um, But we here with this podcast are looking to help answer that question a bit by asking parents to think long-term, their milestones, do the research, resources, goals.
0: Mm -hmm, Yeah and and like how do we define long term like what how do we define long term i would say what do you want your child to be doing after the school after the school bus stops coming you mm-hmm. know which is different for everybody it is a completely individualized experience and along with that individuality can come some loneliness and in some cases a sense of isolation but that but there are other families who are going through this so Probably, probably at the same time you are.
1: Exactly, you're not alone on this. Um, and along the journey, we're hoping to focus on the milestones, and some of those are built around timeframes, and in other cases, helps it helps determine them, um, determine them, um, and figure out what are those milestones to talk about. So using your child's school experiences to help with doing the research, um, using the resources you have at your disposal, including that school transition specialist and other teachers is vital. There's a lot of information. There's a lot to consider. Um, you don't want to be alone in this process. And in many cases, these the answers won't immediately present themselves. Um, it's going to be a lot of give and take. There's going to be things you'll do that you won't have that desired outcome, unfortunately. Um, and trying to do it all at once can feel consuming. So with this podcast, we're hoping to help clear away some of that fog through the journey.
0: Fantastic. Well, then I would say, without further ado, let's go ahead and get together with our family.
2: Uh, I am uh, Nick Nurshall and
3: I'm Remy Nerschel. And we have a son who is 20 years old. His name is Rich. And he goes to a public day school.
2: And uh, so when he was about a year old, he seemed to be doing pretty well, maturing normally. And uh, about that time, Remy seemed to start noticing some abnormalities and the doctor tended to downplay it uh and didn't really uh
3: he told me oh we'll just wait and see so he was a little over a year year old
2: (laughs) and he started to have some odd behaviors and things and uh the doctor uh was like well it's just normal uh he's
3: a boy boys are late (laughs) but he was showing symptoms because i was a social worker working in a day program rehabilitation for traumatic brain injury. And there was a section in the building for early development children. And I used to see them walk around and they would have behaviors like flapping hands, nonverbal, and he was showing those same symptoms and I was getting really nervous. Mm -hmm. So I went to the doctor and say, look, this is what he's exhibiting. And he just said, well, you know, you work at a rehab, you're just projecting just wait and see. Um, And I said, what do you mean by uh, what age are you gonna review this? And he said, oh, around five years old is when we will figure this (laughs) out. (laughs) And so we had to just go, we had an HMO, and this was in the state of California, by the way. And we had to just pay out of pocket, go in debt, get a a diagnosis. And in the state of California, once you gotta get a diagnosis, I, we contacted regional center. I knew to do that because I was, I was a social worker. So, you know, we, we waited for just a few months compared to here, which you have to wait a long Mm -hmm. time. And then we got services. We got, um, speech. We, they were going to hook us up to an early childhood development. Um, but at that time we had to, Nick got a job in Maryland. And so we had to pick up everything and, and just start fresh again at the age of still at the age of two it was the same year my rude awakening was that oh my gosh maryland is different from california we had to wait for service then mm-hmm. he went to a public school mm-hmm. he's been there for all this time he's got great teachers Throughout, I think we were blessed to have had some great teachers along the way. Of course, there was tension back and forth, but to I think it's it, the collaboration of that brought some really good, you know, goals mm-hmm. and services for him. And now we're in, at this point.
1: And how long was he at the separate day school? Did he go right into it when he started his schooling? No, no. he
2: started off in. Uh, Mm-hmm. A separate school uh, that was sort of an inclusion program that was uh, that had kind of a how did that work? It was it, kind
3: of it, it was Howard County Public School, but they have the um you know the special program like Mink the EL.
1: academic life skills yeah.
3: programs. Yeah. um, they have the the combination is I think it was called Mink E L Mink P, which is included the sort of like the ABA program,
2: right? right and they would try to include him uh in various classes throughout the day
3: and we also had um they are also allowed to pay for um like 15 hours of aba intensive therapy and then once he went into that was preschool once he went into kindergarten up to now present it was Mm -hmm. all special ed without in-home service
1: right Mm -hmm. so that a separate day program Mm
0: What age did they finally identify your son with autism? Like, when did you get the official diagnosis?
2: That was 18 months. So we had gone to a separate uh, person from UCLA who did the diagnosis. So, I mean, there was a lot of, um, early on, we were trying to trying to get some, you know, go through the regular doctor, and we did finally uh, get him to be seen by a sort of autism specialist who said, yeah, he probably has autism, but... But we'll wait until he's five that was the one that's when we said we need to get him diagnosed and pay out of pocket
3: yeah (laughs) and um you know first they ruled out hearing if he was deaf because he wasn't responding to his name so they ruled out ruled that out Um, once the psychologist did a thorough evaluation she yeah diagnosed him with autism the age of two
2: And, and it was funny because uh, once we started getting those services, they were like, "Oh, it's so important that they get early intensive therapy." <laughs> and had we just listened to the doctor, you know, we wouldn't have gotten that. Yeah. Well, yeah.
3: just to step back, this was back in again in two in
2: two thousand Well, it was. I guess it was 2002, two thousand two two thousand
3: three. Yeah, is. basically back-
1: a long twenty years back- ago. <laughs> yeah,
3: the autism rates were like one out of one hundred and fifty, yeah. and now it's one out of 44 I think yeah. I yeah. so uh, people are now more aware right. and, are, and pediatricians yeah. are more you know are looking into it now right uh, and we'll work with right. parents to, and if they parents have concerns they will listen I think. Mm-hmm. You know?
2: yeah so. I mean I, I feel like we were just at the cusp of when it was uh, people were starting to realize it was a real issue and there was starting to be more awareness of it. But uh, we hadn't quite gotten to the point where we are now.
0: So as we fast forward now to where your son is at right now, what does a school day look like for him?
3: Well, so we he has to wake up real early in the morning at um, 6.30 to get him bed and and ready to go for, with the bus picks him up at 7 15 which is really early for him so that's been a challenge and from the school once he gets there you know they they have the the assembly they do from what I understand some vocational and life skills they go out to the community is it once or twice a week
1: hoping um, to get back to twice yeah
3: so from there um, he comes home around 245 and then I, I get him ready because he's not done yet. Let him just do what he needs to do to rest. And by three o'clock, his therapist comes. We to, have an ABA
2: therapist. Yeah,
3: it's funded through our health insurance. And from three to six, he, he's there with him doing life skills or what whatever program that is being right. implemented that's prepared by the BCBA. And then his day is done after that. So that's okay. his routine yeah. Monday through Friday.
1: So, a very functional, yes. vocational, yeah. life skills driven day.
2: And he's in a classroom with four other um, children. Uh, so, it's a very small class size. With I don't know what the ratio is, but I think it's close to one to one. <music>
1: So I was going to say, thinking back, when that diagnosis was received and you were planning the next steps, did it ever cross your mind about long-term planning? What's his life going to look like after school?
2: Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. So initially there's the shock, right? And and you start to wonder if you're, yeah. You start to ask those questions. I think within a year or two of that kind of got in my mind, okay, we'll deal with that when we get to it. Let's just see what we can get him to still had hope that at some point he'd be able to be independent it's at some point in his life.
3: That's for me, that was constantly in my mind every single day. <laughs> and even when he was young, what's his life going to be? And so um, anxiety over that really um, pushed me and maybe a little bit too hard on the teachers to get the goals, right, and to um, make sure that they're meeting the goals. Because I always had right. that end in mind, like, wanted him to be at the point where he is self functioning, hopefully, mm-hmm. diploma. And, but then along the way, as we were, you know, working towards those goals, I was noticing maybe that what I wanted for him at at the end, it starts changing, like it, mm-hmm. it depends upon how he's progressing. And I had to step back and say, Okay, I just gotta take a deep breath. <laughs> and just you know, let's go do Nick's next thing It's just get him to the point of what he could do now. Mm-hmm. I think that intensity of where I wanted him to be, it was so intense that it was, you know, I just had to let it go and just focus on the present moment where is he now where he can move
0: yeah I mean
2: it's funny because we're kind of the opposite in how we approach life I mean I think that happens a lot with married couples as so yep. you're attracted to them. and so I've always been kind of I don't spend time regretting and I kind of deal with now but I don't plan for the future. Remy in school, she would be, if an assignment was given to her <laughs> that was due six weeks from now, she needed to do it tonight and I'd wait until like a couple weeks before it's due <laughs> and then my daughter would wait until the night before it's due <laughs> but that's how she kind of, her approach to how to deal with Richie has always been like, we need to plan this, we need to get it going. And,
3: and I think he kind of taught me along the way to just relax <laughs> and follow his lead. And there are moments when he was just, he's just so happy, you know, mm-hmm. he's just happy and smiling.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And, um, and so and that's, that's what
1: you want for your child. You want to see that.
3: That's where people, that's the goal. Mm-hmm. A lot of people's goal is to just be happy. Right. right. He's already there. He's right. already there. And I just had to, um,
1: And I see from my, cause I, I know you and I see from my side that you recognize that what makes him happy. And as you're planning for the future, that's what you're, you're striving for. And I think you're on a a great path. Um, But going back to that, Um, you were kind of leading me to that next question about planning for that post-secondary world and how you like to be um, paired. Around what age did you start doing a little of that research Mm -hmm. and starting to recognize like, okay, I really need to see what I need to do to get us prepared for 21.
3: At 14 years old, it was in the back of my mind because I've been going to, a lot of the um, informational meetings since he was since we came here to Maryland. Um, so as soon as he started school, I've been going to the to the conferences and right away, they said, just keep that in the back of your mind about transition Start And some one of the presenters said start at the age of 14 to just kind of explore more. And so at the age of 14, is when I did really attend more of the the meetings that were provided by the school by the local Howard County um, Autism Society and I would just keep notes And then I met a several parents along the way with children that were transitioning and I would talk to them and they said it took them about three years <laughs> and to read and to go to as many of the, the transition meetings to really get it Mm
1: -hmm.
3: by the end of uh, you know to really understand what what was happening because the resources it's so overwhelming it's so confusing that it took them year after year, year after year to finally to finally understand it you know so that's what a lot of the parents i've talked to have recommended to me is to towards that towards the age of 16, no, 14, 15, and 16, try to go to those meetings, year after year after year. And then at 16, that's when you start doing your research, making a plan. 17 is when you start implementing the plan. And 18 is when you execute. And so I remember that just by talking to parents, going to those informational conferences and everything. I just remember that in And I just kept that in my notes and that's
1: what I did. Great setup. I
2: love it. It
0: was. Hey, Brammy, I do have one question for you. So what was the most useful, which is to say, did you find those transition meetings useful or did you find talking to other parents and families who were going through the process more useful for you?
3: In the beginning, it was the parents. Actually, the parents throughout. Parents um, connecting with them, connecting to groups, connecting to the Facebook groups, like the Howard County Autism Society has a group. One of the parents, um, her name is Bernadine, Bernadette, sorry, <laughs> she created a Maryland Transition Facebook a- group. Autism Facebook group. So I went into that one. We were both in that one. And I don't, there's another group called Self Direction I mean, that one, I mean, there are a lot of information uh, out there in the internet. So, connecting with parents is what's vital. Yes. Um, but also, the inf- the webinars, the the conferences were really good too. Especially the SSI one. I that was that was really good because SSI can be very very overwhelming, and there's so much information.
0: When you say SSI, what is that?
3: Oh, I'm sorry. It's a social security supplementary income.
2: So the way I understand it is, so there's kind of two kinds of social security, right? There's the SSI and there's the SSDI. SSI is for people who have never really paid into it. So a lot of the children with disabilities, our son in particular, uh, were able to take advantage of once they turn 18, 18, 18. they they can get a monthly income to basically... Um, help them pay for living expenses.
3: Mm -hmm. But you have to qualify for that. So So
2: there's a process to apply for it. Mm -hmm. We definitely uh, took advantage of some of those information sessions to figure out how to to put in the application. Yeah,
3: it's really confusing. Uh, DDA website, the Developmental Mm -hmm. Disability website website, It's so there's so much information, and you just you can go down
1: a rabbit hole with
3: that. Still trying to kind of go through it.
2: I mean, the interesting thing was like once we went once we got the application in for Rich, it was really very quick. It happened right during the pandemic, pandemic. (laughs) and we ended up doing a phone call meeting with the the person within a month or two. uh, He he was qualified, and he was already receiving. Uh, service or receiving uh, benefits. Yeah,
3: And I think we were kind of, uh, he was lucky in that we happened to work with an SSI representative uh, who was really just um, thoughtful and wanted to work with us because I've heard stories from other parents that it took them months to get their child receiving SSI. And so mm-hmm. it, we were. He was lucky. We were lucky to have been paired up with somebody who helped us through the process. And it also helped because the Autism Society had a conference. A year, he, he, they have a yearly conference with an SSI guru. At- Michael At- Dalto, and he was helpful because we talked to him privately mm-hmm. too. For um, tips that he can help us, yeah, and he he gave us some really good information. Yeah, he really laid it out exactly yeah,
2: what you have to, to say, say and mm-hmm. how you how do the application.
3: I need to point out to parents, which is important, mm-hmm. is for to apply for SSI. Don't don't apply the day they turn eighteen. Wait until the one month after they turn eighteen, because if you apply too close to the date of when they just turned 18, parents income will be assessed, uh, included in determining whether the child qualifies. And if you're making a lot of money, your your child will get denied. You have to wait about a uh, about I would say about a month after they turn 18. So and I know the
1: Michael Dalto sessions they did are on the Howard County Autism Society webpage recorded. Yeah. So
3: yeah, they're he a great was, resource. It was really great. And yeah
1: So that was the first part of our podcast series.
0: Our interview series with our family.
1: Thank you. Please come back for more. We're going to do another second podcast with them. In the meantime, like and follow the podcast to make sure you're not missing any of our episodes as they come out. And be sure to tell other families about us. And more importantly, send us messages. If there's a topic you want us to discuss or cover, if you have questions, just you just need some more insight on, we are happy to cover it um, as much as we can. So
0: we have already gotten some feedback, and we're looking forward to incorporating that in later on. So absolutely, all right. Well, I think I think we're done with part one. Awesome. All right. Bye, guys.
1: Bye. <laughs>